Flagler, the Trotters at Pompano, the Florida Derby at Hialeah, the rows of gleaming slot machines clanging with a downpour of coins on a cruise to Jamaica. But he was a good kid, not a drunk, not mean-spirited or resentful yet about the addiction that had already cost him a fiancé in a two-bedroom stucco house on a canal in Fort Lauderdale. He grinned at his losses, his eyes wrinkling at the corners as though a humorous acknowledgement of his problem made it less than it was. On Saturdays, he ate an early lunch of a hamburger and glass of milk at the bar while he studied the morning telegraph, his ink-black hair cut short, his face always good-natured. By one o'clock, he and I would be out at the track together, convinced that we knew the future, the drone of the crowd mysteriously erasing any fears of mortality we may have possessed. On a sunny weekday afternoon, when the jacaranda trees in Bougainville were in bloom, Dallas strolled into the bar whistling a tune. He'd picked three NFL winners that week, and today he'd hit a perfecta and a quinella at Hialeah. He bought a round of well drinks for the house and had dinners of T-bones and Irish potatoes brought in for him and me. Then two men of a kind you never want to meet came through the front door, the taller one beckoning to the bartender, the shorter man scanning the tables, waiting for his eyes to adjust to the darkness of the bar's interior. Got to Dee, Dave, call me, Dallas said, dropping his fork and steak knife in his plate, pulling his leather jacket off the back of his chair. He was out the back door like a shot. He made it as far as a lavender Cadillac where a man as big as the sky waited for him, his arms folded on his chest, his wraparound mirror shade swimming with distorted images of minarets and broken glass sprinkled along the top of a stucco wall. The two men who had come in through the front of the bar followed Dallas outside. I hesitated, then wiped my mouth with my napkin and went outside too. The parking area had been created out of crushed building material that was spiked with weeds. The wind was blowing hard, and the royal palms out on the boulevard thrashed and twisted against a perfect blue sky. The three men whom I did not know had formed a circle around Dallas, as though each of them had a fixed role he had played many times before. The driver of the caddy had the biggest neck I had ever seen on a human being. It was as wide as his jowls, his tie and collar pin like formal dress on a pig. He chewed gum and gazed at the palm trees whipping against the sky as though he were disengaged from the conversation. The man who had spoken to the bartender was the talker. He wore polyester sports clothes and white loafers and looked like a consumptive, his hair as white as meringue, his shoulders stooped with bone loss, his face netted with the lines of a chain smoker. Whitey is supposed to carry you for 16 large, he said. That ain't his money. He's paying a point and a half vig a week on that. No, Dallas, you don't talk, you listen. Everybody appreciates what you did for your country, but when you owe 16 large, that war hero shit don't slide down the pipe. But the man who caught my eye was the short one. He seemed wrapped too tight for his own body, same way a meth addict seems to boil in his own juices. His mouth was like a horizontal keyhole, the corner of his upper lip exposing his teeth as though he was starting to grin. He listened intently to every word in the conversation, waiting for the green light to flash, his eyes flickering with anticipation. 
The consumptive man rested his palm on Dallas's shoulder. What? You think we're being hard on you? You want Ernesto to drive us out in the glade so we can talk there? Whitey likes you, kid. You got no idea how much he likes you, how kind you're being treated here. You gentlemen have a problem with my friend Dallas? I asked. In the quiet, I could hear the palm fronds rattling above the stucco wall, a gust of wind tumbling a piece of newspaper past a spiked iron gate. No, we don't got a problem, the short man said, turning toward me, the sole of one shoe grinding on a piece of broken mortar. His hair was peroxide and feathered on the back of his neck. He wore platform shoes and a dark blue suit that was cut so the flap stuck out from his waist, and a silver shirt dancing with light, and a silk kerchief tied around his throat. His eyes contained a cool green fire whose source a cautious man doesn't probe. Dallas has a phone call, I said. Take a message, the short man said. It's his mother. She really gets mad when Dallas doesn't come to the phone, I said. He's a cop, the driver of the caddy said, removing his shades, pinching the glare out of his eyes. The short man and the man in polyester sports clothes took my inventory. You a cop? The short man said, smiling for the first time. You never can tell, I replied. Nice place to hang out, he said. You bet, if you want a tab, I'll talk to the bartender, I said. The short man laughed and accepted a stick of gum from the driver. Then he stepped close to Dallas and spoke to him in a whisper, one that caused the blood to drain out of Dallas's face. After the three men had gotten back into their caddy and driven away, I asked Dallas what the short man had said. Nothing. He's a jerk. Forget it, he said. Who's Whitey? Whitey Bruxall. He runs a book out of a pizza joint in Hallandale. You're into him for sixteen grand? I got a handle on it. It's not a problem. Inside the bar, he pushed aside his food and ordered a scotch with milk. After three more of the same, the color came back into his cheeks. He blew out his breath and rested his forehead on the heel of his hand. Wow, he said quietly, more to himself than to me. What did that dude say to you? I asked. One, one, five, Coconut Palm Drive. I don't follow, I said. I have a six-year-old daughter. She lives with a grandmother in the grove. That's her address, he replied. He stared at me blankly, as though he could not assimilate his own words. Dallas invited me to his apartment the next evening and cooked hamburgers for us on a hibachi out on a small balcony. Down below were blocks and blocks of one-story houses with gravel and tar roofs and yards in which the surfaces of plastic-sided swimming pools wrinkled in the wind. The sun looked broken and red on the horizon, without heat, veiled with smoke from a smoldering fire in the glades. Dallas showed me pictures of his daughter, taken in Orlando and in front of a Ferris wheel at Coney Island. One picture showed her in a snowsuit sewn with rabbit ears that flopped down from the hood. The little girl's hair was gold, her eyes blue, her smile magical. What happened to her mom, I said. She took off with a guy who was running coke from the islands in a cigarette boat. They hit a buoy at 50 knots south of Pine Key. Get this, the guy flew a cobra in Nam. My wife always said she loved a pilot. He turned the burgers on the grill, his eyes concentrated on his task. 
I knew what was coming next. Had a note under my door from Whitey this morning. I might have to take my little girl and blow Dodge, he said. I cracked a beer and leaned on the railing. In the distance, I could see car lights flowing down a wide bend in an expressway. I sipped from the beer and said nothing in reply to his statement. I made a salad. Why don't you dump it in a couple of bowls, he said. The silence hung between us. I've got a couple of grand in a savings account. You want to borrow it? I said, then raised the bottle to my mouth, waiting for the weary confirmation of the frailty and self-interest that exists in us all. No thanks, he said. I lowered the bottle and looked at him. It's just a matter of doing the smart thing, he said. I got to think it through. Whitey's not a bad guy. He's just got his... What? I said. His own obligations... Miami is supposed to be an open city. No contract hits. No one guy gets a lock on the action. But nothing goes on here that doesn't get pieced off to the New York families. You see my drift? Not really, I said, not wanting to know more about Dallas's involvement with Miami's underworld. What a life, huh? He said. Yeah, I replied. Make mine rare, will you? Rare it is, Loot, he said, squeezing the grease out of a patty wincing in the flare of smoke and flame. I washed my hands before we ate. Dallas's work uniform hung inside a clear plastic dry cleaner's bag on a hook in the bathroom, the logo of an armored car company sewn above the coat pocket. But Dallas did not blow Dodge. Instead, I saw him talking on a street corner in Apalaca with Ernesto, the leviathan driver of the lavender Cadillac. The two of them got in the caddy and drove away.